You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Daniel Norcross, a broadcaster, raconteur, um, dilettante and podcaster. And I am joined once again, as I am every time. As you must be. By, yeah, it's the whiff-waff, it's the puff pastry hangman himself. It is the chief cricket writer of Press Association with a mug of tea in his hand, Rory Dollard. Today... We're going to be running the rule over, yes, we have to, the controversy at Lords. Goodness me, we've all got opinions about it. Uh, let's try and distill them into something that's not really annoying, because we've heard nearly all the <laughs> arguments before. But there are, there's the occasional little nuance, and I got a really good idea from a bloke in the pub straight afterwards. That doesn't often Was happen. Was it a second-hand car? I mean, you get... <laughs> no, it's a... It, I'll tell you all about it. It's amazing because normally ideas you're given in the pub are absolutely dreadful. But this one isn't bad. Uh, England Cricket on 99.94 is your new home for, well, England Cricket content. We'll be dropping into your podcast feed and on YouTube or the 99.94 app three times every week. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. We are going to also take a look at the first few T20s, first four T20s that have been happening down in Pakistan and zeroing in on the return of Mark Wood. But first off, okay, Rory, where do you sit on that? We can't call it a man cad anymore because apparently it's it's bad, even though doing a man cad is a sign of a great cricketing wisdom for half the population. And so isn't bad. So it gets very, very confusing <laughs> there. Uh, the, the people who are in favour of it say you shouldn't use the word man cad. The people who are against it say you should. Um, that, that's... We haven't even started on the rights and wrongs of it. We don't even know what to call it. Let's just say being run out at the non-striker's end before the ball has been released. Dipti Sharma did it, of course, to uh, win the game at Lords, uh, to take the 10th wicket, a 10th wicket partnership that had been, uh, well, it, it had been prospering, let us say. 37 runs they made. They needed another 16 to win the game, 17 to win the game in, in very unusual and extraordinary circumstances. And so uh, Dipti Sharma, couldn't get anybody else out. All the good bowlers had been bowled out. Um, they couldn't get out the numbers 9 and 11. So um, they resorted to, had the wisdom to, were canny enough to, call it what you like, finish a marquee event at Lords with a run out at the non-strikers end. Uh, where do you stand on it? Okay, well, I think Mancad, Vinu Mancad has done his shift. That's fair enough. But I'll be happy to, going forward, call it a deep D. Or a Sharma, <laughs> because you know when you put yourself in that position, whether it, you know whether the rights or the wrongs of it, you know it's going to stick to you. So we can rebrand it uh, for the for the next little while if we like. Uh, I think primarily that it was as a as a way to end a big game of cricket. Load of rubbish. Yeah, Dan. I think as a way to end what was shaping up to be a really 
a really fitting end to the international summer in England. It was basically a load of old rubbish. It was, I have called it the worst, worst ending since Game of Thrones. It was, it was highly, highly disappointing. Now, that's not to get into the necessarily the sort of the, the fevered debate about morality and legality and all that stuff. It's just to say that isn't enjoyable, I don't think. There is a, there's kind of a niche strand of people who seem to perversely celebrate it as a, a unique act of cunning and genius. And I don't have, I'm not having that really. It's, it's bad. It's not, it's not really something. I mean, I was watching it with my son, Arthur, the seven-year-old kid, and had to explain it all. And he was completely nonplussed by it. He was like, that's not very good, is it? <laughs> he was quite enjoying, he was quite enjoying right. the finish. So who's to blame for that ending? That's where I suppose the, the, the armies and the battle lines up. And some people will tell you that Charlie Dean was completely in the wrong, uh, always wandering out of her crease to sort of manage the percentages, I suppose, and, and gain an advantage. And others might say that Dip D was a little bit uh, gamesmanship. And, and, it, and, it, and certainly it, I would take the opinion that she had never, never had any intention of bowling that ball, that it was a bit of a, a carnival trick to, to sort of wander her arm over with the intention of, of pulling out. Charlie Dean, it does seem, was, was wandering out of her crease more than that on previous occasions. It just so happened that the ball that Sharma chose to run her out with the non-strikers, she was actually not that... I think it's touch and go as to whether by the letter of the law, mm. she was out of her ground at the normal release point. I'm not sure she was. I think the momentum carried her forward. Yeah. And had she not have continued forward and, and gone out, I, I don't know what Sharma would have done with the ball. I think she'd have put, pulled out of her action. So it's not... Oh, well, I'll tell you I'll tell you exactly what she'd have done. She'd have done what she's done on, on millions of occasions before. This is why... The, I wasn't really particularly surprised by it because I've watched Dipti Sharma play on numerous occasions and the number of times she doesn't release the ball is utterly infuriating. I mean, I've seen her take 11 minutes over and over. And part of this is, you know, oh, that thing where the batter might have just moved by a fraction. Part of it is because she's actually thinking about pulling off the mancad or the Dipti. Mm. Um, and she's perfectly within her rights to do all those things. Uh, I find the conversation generally quite enervating because... It's usually split between basically three camps. You've got the thoroughly irritating nationalists of whoever's side <laughs> happens to be the one who's perpetrated the mancad or the dipti, yeah. who are always blindly um, supportive of it. It doesn't matter whether they're Indian, Pakistani, English. It makes no odds. They're just feral lunatics, and they think that sport and nations are inextricably intertwined and that if if, if anybody criticises something that somebody's done in your nation, you are effectively saying that everybody from that country is a, is a scoundrel and then you get reminded of the Amritsar massacre, which is really helpful. And, you know, given that absolutely no member of my family going back 10 generations was ever colonialist, they were all stuck in mines or working in fields, um, I get kind of irritated <laughs> by it. But... Um, then you get the incredibly irritating cricket hipsters, who are the ones you're talking about, who absolutely love anything that's contrary and think, isn't it brilliant that somebody's done something very clever? 
And then you get the spirit of cricket people who say that this is just absolutely wrong. They drive me mad as well. And I would say that while I have some sympathy with what you're saying about that's a bad way to end the game, if you do it, it shouldn't make any difference whether it's the 10th wicket of a match at Lords or the second wicket of a match at Hove. Um, it, it shouldn't do, should it? But it sort of feels like it does. Now, I was commentating that ball and I know exactly what you mean. I'm pretty sure that that ball... Yeah, I think if you're going to uh, normalise and make okay this form of uh, run-out, as the MCC have done, which are the host of Lords, so it was a fitting place for it to happen, I suppose, in a sense, and has of the ICC, then I think it has to be something that you're as willing to do in the first over as the last. Uh, and I think resorting to it at a point when you think the game is gone and, and that you're struggling makes it seem like a it makes it seem like a more underhand or uh, unimpressive thing to do because they're not looking at it until the game's on the line. And I think that's where it sounds and looks a bit unfair. My final word, really, to some extent, on on this debate because I have been a bit on Twitter which you should should never do at these times um, ooh, and I've poked ooh. the hornet's nest a little bit but probably the most uh, balanced sensible and admirable response to the whole thing has been by Charlie Dean who went through the stages as follows really really peeved off and miffed and angry shook hands made a joke of it 24 hours later. Now, if everyone in the cricket world could have approached this with the same magnanimity, that would probably would all be in a better position, wouldn't we? So well done, Charlie Dean, for actually being in the middle of it all and seeing some perspective. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I'm going to have a couple of final words on that. Spot on on Charlie Dean. Uh, I don't have a problem with uh, bowlers running people out of the non-strikers end. I don't like it when batters encroach. Uh, I think it's possible that Charlie Dean had been a little bit. And I think that the only bowler that would do that was Dipti. She's a senior player and she and Harmon Preet had clearly talked mm-hmm. about it. And Charlie Dean knew that there was a chance that she would do that, which is why she was very careful to stay behind the line. I think there was an element of fake bowling mm-hmm. in it because, you know, as I said, I was commentating on it and I thought, this is really weird She's because she's done the not bowl the ball, but then she's stopped like halfway through and gone back. Uh, but, you know, that's for third umpires to decide. And if they decided that it was fine, then it was fine. So the, um, the umpire's decision is final in that respect. What I really liked was an idea from a man in the pub called Tom. And he said, he was slightly drunk at the time. He said... Uh, why doesn't they just have a batting no ball? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, if they can, the third umpire can check the front foot of the bowler. I'll stop doing a slightly <laughs> pissed voice. But he said, if they, can, if they can check the front foot of the bowler, why don't they check the, where the, the batter is as well? So if they are out of the crease at the point at which, and you can make a decision of what that is, whether it's when the front foot lands or whether the, it's the point of delivery of the ball, doesn't really matter. That's for them to make up then automatically one run is deducted from the batting side. And I really like that idea. And also, if you score the run, obviously, if, if you're trying to get a quick single, you lose that run. Um, 
And I thought, why not? Now, it's pointed out to me on, on Twitter, of course, always Twitter, that there's, we've got enough to do already as umpires. We can't be looking at this, that, and the other. And there is a strong point. But you could send out, you know, um, a third umpire. It could be somebody from, well, I don't know who it could be in club cricket. It's tricky. Yeah, club cricket is not going to work. But I don't know how many... I don't know how many dipties happen in club cricket. But well, probably the, the more. problem with this is actually <laughs> the optics of Probably more after this week. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yes. And I mean, you can be pretty damn certain that Sophie Eccleston or someone like that is going to be trying to do harm and pre yeah. and dipty at the first possible opportunity. And, and let's let's not forget a wonderful woman called Maeve Doomer who did four man cads <laughs> in one match, which was an act of genuine heroism in a women's T20 a couple of years back. Um, so I'm not going to get pompous about any of these things, but I did like the idea of the batting mm. noble, and you could do it with televised games. I mean, you could do it in professional cricket as well because you could just have a third umpire standing. And um, I thought that'd be rather. I suppose fun. it's like any one. Of, it's any one of these things, isn't it? It's like it's like food banks or something like that. The rule should be brought in with the aspiration that it never has to exist. Correct. After a certain amount of time. That's the idea. That's the idea. Anyway. We will move on from the subject of Dipties, formerly known as Mancads. You're listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever you, whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka all covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on your podcasts. We speak cricket. So, England's men down in Pakistan, historic tour, 17 years in the making. They're playing seven matches. I was a man who's quite sceptical, by the way, about the uh, value of seven-match bilateral T20 series. But I watched the latest game, the fourth in the series of seven, and saw the devastation writ large over poor old Liam Dawson's face when England lost a nail-biter, for which he sort of blamed himself. And I realised that all these matches count and they all care. So we're not going to go into detail about the individual games that we've seen, but I'm just going to pick out a couple of people who have impressed, mostly from an England point of view, because I have to say that Pakistan's fast bowling, I don't know how they're going to work out who's in their T20 squad because they've basically got too many options. England have got quite a lot of options, but not many of them had been firing until relatively recently. And the Twin Woods certainly did. We'll look at Mark Wood in greater detail shortly. But also the batting has fired for England in fits and starts, but very encouraging signs from the likes of Harry Brook, Ben Duckett, um, a good debut for uh, Will Jacks. So there's a there's a fair there's a lot there to be excited by from an England point of view, Rory. Yeah, I think overwhelmingly, if you've watched this sort of quadrilogy in Karachi, uh, Harry Brook has come across as the the big show. He he has batted with absolute um timing, with uh, imagination, with enterprise. He looks as good as you've been told. You know, this guy's averaging 100 in the county championship. He fancies white ball cricket just as much as red. He's been waiting all summer for his little little takeoff. And this seven-match series appears to be it, to the point that Nasser Hussain said after the third game, I think, that he was inked into their T20 side and he couldn't envisage going in without him, which is quite 
quite something for a player who had, what, three caps before this series, four, something like that, who has been the spare batter across the board for quite a while and into a team that around the time that Liam Livingston was trying to break in and Sam Billings, people like that, it was was known up till very recently as the hardest team in sport to break into Owen Morgan's crack unit of of white ball brothers. Uh, and, and Harry Brooks gone from being an outlier and a, a maybe the ne- next cab off the rank, as they say, to being really at the front of the queue. He he seems to have so many options and such clarity about when to use them. He he's he really does threaten to be superstar. This kid doesn't he? I, I've been stunned by him actually. Uh, the crispness of his shots is one thing, but it's the uh, the shot selection, um, the way he sees exactly where the field's gone. I mean, he played a couple of shots in the fourth match and he didn't score at a particularly massive rate, but he was actually rebuilding the innings in that day with Moeen Alley. So he, he reined himself in a bit, in which he managed to, I don't know how he accessed the offside boundary off mm. really full. I mean, Yorker length deliveries, giving himself room. Um, he's, got, he's a very clean striker of the ball and he's very, very still at the moment that he hits the ball. And those are terrific attributes. Um, I think it's going to be interesting how they manage to fit everybody in when mm. Ben Stokes comes back and Liam Livingston's available and Joss Butler's available. Um, I'd say also that you know Ben Duckett's been quite the revelation because he's been out of the England setup properly, and it was when he came back in as uh, well as, as a reserve opener, if you like, for the final Test match when Johnny Bairstow had broken his leg, and uh, you thought, "Hello, this is interesting." They've gone with Ben Duckett. So they really had wanted to reintegrate him back into the England setup, and I've been delighted with the way he's played, and I'm really, really pleased for him because he's always, for my money, had a, a huge amount of talent and ability, but um, he was sent on a tour, I think, at the wrong age and the wrong tour and asked to do the wrong job. So it looks like he's back, which I'm absolutely delighted about. We will be talking more about the T20s as the series progresses, and it's what, 2nd of October when they all end. So we'll run the rule properly over the batting, the bowling, the fielding in those seven matches as we get to its conclusion. And also, take a more deep look into the bowling lineup. If you love the language of cricket and you want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all our announcements by following us on social media, at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. So the last thing I want to look at today, Rory, is the re-emergence of the mighty Mark Wood. My goodness me. Um, he's been out of the side for seven months. We got, we all love pace. It's so, so exciting. The old bowl won at nearly 97 miles an hour. Now, he's had to be rested after his first game, after the first four overs. But it's so exciting to watch, isn't it? We saw this breakthrough happen a couple of times in the Caribbean when he bowled the fastest over, I think, that ever been recorded by an Englishman. And it just sends all England fans and pundits and journalists into um, into raptures. It does. We talk about extreme pace and express pace being being 90. You know, it's we need we need a 90 mile an hour option. 97 is whew, it's that is changing the game entirely. That takes it from giving a bat a bat of the hurry up in international cricket 
to leaving them flapping like a clubby, which is what Iftikhar Ahmed did. He didn't, he wasn't up to it. He just wasn't up to the speed. Uh, and that's, I don't it's blame not, him. not something <laughs> you see very often though. I mean, 97 miles an hour just doesn't, you don't see it very often. And I remember in the West Indies, in that tour where he really, really cranked back up and, and, and bowled that spell in St. Lucia, we were out there and he spoke to us that before the match, he did a little round table chat and he said, I reckon I can be as quick as Shannon Gabriel, you know? And some people sniggered. Some people sniggered because he, he, at the back end of his previous stint in the England team, he had been sending down spells at 86, 87, 88, nice and quick, but nothing crazy. And Shannon Gabriel was clear in 90. And he said, I, I, I can get as quick as Gabriel. And it, people didn't think it was likely. Crikes, he's left Shannon Gabriel in the dust. He is, he's bowling as quick as people have been seen bowling in an England shirt. And to do so in his first spell back after seven months, when personally, when I heard about the elbow surgery and the, 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 the comeback was pushed from, to, from the England white ball set, maybe a bit of the blast, maybe end of the summer, and then into Pakistan, I thought, ooh, we could be in trouble here with Woody. But whew, he, he, England have to be looking now at getting Mark Wood to turn up and do his thing in a very targeted way, almost like Australia used Ryan Harris a while back. Don't yes. don't bank him in and ink him in as someone for all times. When do you need him? So they need him ideally for the World T20. Then they need him for the Ashes. Everything else can be collateral in that, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and and even there, when it comes to the Ashes, I think it's probably you know first test. Third test, yeah. fifth test, something like that. I mean, depending yeah. on the venues, um, you got, you got because it's such a valuable asset to have, isn't it? And we saw on these pitches in Karachi that have been mostly very good. Uh, even bowling at ninety miles an hour, the problem with that is that pace on was just the, the ball was going further and faster. Mm. But he was so quick, and when he bowled short, you could just see no one could really lay a bat in it. They couldn't time it at all. Of course, you know he's going to concede occasional boundary is going to concede the occasional um, top edge but he's going to get you wickets and it's becoming increasingly obvious in T20 cricket if it wasn't always that if you want to arrest the development of a side you need to take those wickets and on Australian pitches it's just going to be fascinating to see we've never really got to see Mark Wood against Australia mm. in Australia bowling quickly um, and that's kind of the dream I, it's it's what England have always wanted yeah, isn't it? I do remember uh you know, in the white ball series that followed, not this Ashes, the previous one to that, a, a, a tour match in some game outside Sydney, I think it was, like a warm-up match. And he he hustled and hustled David Warner, beat him for beat him all out, outright for pace, which is when he plays against those people week in, week out, Warner over there, that's no that's not easily done. Yeah, it's um you don't wanna you don't wanna persuade yourself into the dream situation in case it never happens, but Wood and Archer in their pomp and at their absolute oh. peak in the ashes next summer. Dare we, dare we dream? Yeah, yeah, dream. That's the whole point. Sport is all about dreaming. Of course we're going to dream about it. And and also when we do, let's just always think of that, that beautifully poignant moment that was recorded of him <laughs> coming sort of out the other Anise. side of his, out the other side of his, 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 his yeah, his, his anaesthetic. And, and he says, 
I'll pull fast again, won't I? I'll pull fast. And it's like, oh, God, you're so sweet. I mean, he is the absolute, is he the sweetest fast bowler who ever lived? I'm going to leave you with that question, Rory, because I think it's time that we say goodbye. We'll be back. We'll be back before too long, a couple of days or so, when we'll be looking at whatever the hell's been happening in English cricket. There's always something. I'm just delighted we didn't have to talk about the men's high performance review this time. <laughs> which I, <clears throat> I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, how am I going to go back to sleep? I thought, I know the men's high performance review. I and was it hoping did we could absolute get, wonders. I was hoping we could get a tight seven minutes out of the uh, revised bonus point system, but maybe another time. Well, another time, another time, as Harold Pinter famously said. Thank you for listening to England Cricket on 99.94. Cricket every day. Please do rate, review and subscribe. Download the 99.94 app and follow us personally on at Norcross Cricket for me and Rory at... At the RVD. You'll find me and you'll find a wrestling chap and you can follow us both and see which one you prefer. How much fun that'll be. We're going to put links up for everything we do there on this podcast and beyond. Also, follow our network at 9994DM on social media. Follow for podcasts and commentary for the bat and ball world. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. On 99.94, we speak cricket. Goodbye. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with Breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with Breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with Breslow the business of sports betting podcast